Oh, welcome to Hot Topic, and tonight I'm talking to uh, Tim Fellows, the um, former owner of Spannerworks in Otaki and a, um, a local identity in the motor trade on the um, on the Cavity Coast. And in a brief chat um, prior to talking to him tonight, I mentioned my connection with the motor trade in Wellington over some 20 years, and of course there was an immediate connection with a lot of names chucked around with various people that we've um, met over that length of time. And as you probably know, if you've listened to the show uh, regularly, several guests over the years um, recently have spoken about the golden era, uh, golden era of motor racing in Wellington, which was actually the mobile street racing series, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. So I understand, Tim, that um, in some way you became a little bit involved in that as well. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, very probably the first street to Wellington, I was working for Archer and Luff and Willow Street, and um, so we had the Connaught Formula One car that had come out from the UK uh, in the workshop, and um, a Le Mans driver, um, from memory his name was Alan Decadney, came out to drive it, and um, so I got involved just helping them out, um, and they were gobsmacked that someone would just jump in because they could, and um, they were like, oh, do you want to come to the UK and, and go around on the transporter with these things? And I was only young and couldn't get my ducks in a row, and mm. possibly a missed opportunity, but it was great to be involved with it at the mm. time. Mm. Um, um, so these were Jaguar people, were they? Uh, no, this is the Connaught, it's a, a 1950-something Formula One car. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, so open open wheel car. Mm. Um, and what amazed me is even when at that stage when they ran them here, it was very much to the style of. So it was elbows out, mm. short sleeves. Yes. And um, you thought, and this guy had run Le Mans, like he was a serious driver and he drove it for these people. Mm. That car had had a bit of an unfortunate history and killed the previous owner. So the family had bought it out here to race. Right. Um, yeah. But very cool thing to see. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually remember the um, the Formula One cars. That must have been on the very first race, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would have been the original yeah. open wheelers. That, yeah. They ran an open wheeler race, so mm. not what we expect to be Formula One cars. They're more no, like, no. More no. like hot dogs with wheels poking out. Yeah, yeah. So how did the car perform? Oh, it's unbelievable. What's like that? it sound yeah. like a old Ferguson tractor idling, right. but it was it was a real piece of kit. Right. And um, yeah. it's twin cam and all the pretty bits that were just set idle at about five hundred RPMs, but when he yeah. gave it to it, it was amazing. It had a D D on rear end and another period pieces at the time. It was right. a genuine thing. So right. yeah. yeah, very cool to see. Yeah. And so you worked on that car. Um, did you ever get to the stage where you actually were in a situation where you could actually drive in one of those races yourself? No, I mean that just comes down to money really. Yeah, I mean we've yeah. done the we crewed the Benson Hedges touring cars back in the day when I when, when I worked for Arch and Luck they, yeah. we ran a Corolla and that and that was a lot of fun. Um, pretty much the motor racing I've done has been club level, manfield type, you know, circuit yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, at that level, that's where most people start because, it's, I mean, it, it is a jumping-off point. Mm. And, um, I mean, you're obviously not the first person to mention that money is a huge factor. And, of course, the other thing, um, even if you are lucky enough to get sponsorship and you do manage to get the drives, then there's a distance between here and where you have to go 
to get any better. And I mean, the, the first jumping off point obviously is Australia, but if you want to go any further than that, the costs are absolutely prohibitive, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, if you look back, I've been doing a bit of reading on the Can-Am cars that they ran in the States and the McLaren stuff, and you know, that was all sponsorship. They went to, they won the series here, they went to, I think, Cooper in the UK. Yeah. And when the Kiwis arrived there, oh, your car's in the rack over there, and it was a yeah. pile of metal. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the level of mm. expertise that the Kiwis took mm. racing overseas is quite amazing. Yeah. I think even today, um, you know, at, at the moment, we've, we seem to have a, a group of young Kiwis that are doing punching well above their weight, which we always mm. seem to do. Um, and it's really quite amazing. I mean, obviously, people like Colin Giltrap, um, who's been a mentor to so many of these kids, and he still keeps pumping them out. Mm. And Ke- even Kenny Smith, you know, I mean, he's, he's had a major role in a lot of them. Um, in fact, just talking about the Nissan Mobile for a minute, I'll never forget, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether you actually saw this, but it reminds me of um, an, an extremely young teenage Scott Dixon. Um, who was campaigning a Nissan Sentra yes. in one of the races. And I remember Scott was quite short when he was a kid. And so they propped him up on cushions so he could see out over the dashboard. And in this particular race, he put the Sentra on its roof. And I remember he was quite indignant because he had to climb out the car with the cushions following him <laughs> one by one as they tumbled out. <laughs> trying to get out of this car on its roof and and when you think about it he would have been probably what about 13 14 yeah i believe that's about right and um you know i mean he's someone who's who uh career since has just been unbelievable but i mean there are other people involved in those races as well that went on to have quite stellar careers Mm. um and the thing i don't know whether you whether you remember but i can actually during one of the races, when Jim Richards had the Nissan GTR, they christened Godzilla, out here. And I remember standing by the St. John Ambulance Base at the beginning of Cable Street when that car came round the corner and proceeded to go down Cable Street, which was quite undulating with quite a few bumps. And it was like Guy Fawkes night. There were sparks flying off the bottom <laughs> of the car as it disappeared down the street. Um, those kind of things, <laughs> you can't adequately describe the sensation of the noise and just everything else that was going on. Mm. And um, I think, you know, as, as we said when we started this off, I think this, um, Wellington was probably as close then to the likes of Monaco as it's probably ever going to be. And um, really quite exciting times to be, to be around. Yeah, well, my cousin gave me the book on the Nissan Mobile Race Christmas before last. Right. Fascinating read of how it yeah. came together. Yeah. And it just like that was total seat of the pants stuff. And the people that were organising it weren't motor racing people. No, they weren't. And so no. it was just like, that's amazing to put that much time and effort into something and thought this is going to be. This well, is gonna, I'm know, not this is sure fly. even whose idea it was, but I know that the very first race was actually called Nissan Q500. Mm. And the Q part of it was a magazine which apparently went bankrupt before the racing series even started. So all of a sudden Nissan Q500 got shortened to Nissan 
and then of course then I think the following year Mobile joined in and I think they, they ran it through pretty much to the end. But in those in those races in particular, um, you pretty much you mentioned you know that um, a lot of the cars that were involved were um, seat of the pants, you know, mortgage the house and yep. go and put a car on the track kind of stuff. And um, I, one of my um, regular adjuncts to my show that we're doing currently uh, in conjunction in conjunction with um, Digby Pape from yep. Digby and Jonathan from Associated Radio. Uh, he he was campaigning cars back in those days, I think, with a um, a little uh, Corolla hatchback, mm-hmm. and um, and we're actually testing cars at the moment. We've been doing cars from the Gaisley Motor Group. They're just about to switch over on to Armstrong's, and we're we're testing new cars and doing critiques on them. And um, I'm actually quite enjoying. Uh, I had met Digby years ago, but quite enjoying. Um, you know, listening to the stories of motor racing from, you know, he and his brother were fortunate enough to have access to funds to put some serious money into mm. this stuff, you know. Um, but but for everyone else, um, I think, you know, just being able to stand on the sideline and watch it was pretty, pretty exciting too. And of course, the other thing is, um, were you um, were you on the scene going back a little bit earlier than that to the days of the Levin motor racing circuit? No, I might have the old man's haircut, but I'm not right. quite that old. Uh, right. So right. no, I ne- never went to Levin. Unfortunately, right. I've only seen pictures of it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, some of um, you know some of the people I spoke to. In fact, we went to a um, reunion just um, a few months ago um, to mark the death of Brian Falloon, who died at um, Livin mm-hmm. some years ago. We went to the track. Part of the track is actually where they do um, horse training. That's right. Or whatever. So we went up there and, and spent a day. They had a, a car um, display on and things like that. I went as a kid um, probably for the best part of 10 years. Wow. Every year. Um, and for somebody my age who would have been probably um, just just barely getting into teenage years, to actually, and back in those days, there was no, um, there was no impediment to walking anywhere you liked mm. on the track. So you walked through the cars and amongst the drivers, and it was really quite surreal to just gaze around and, oh, there's Graham Hill, and there's Jackie Stewart, mm. and there's Jim Clark. And the thing that fascinated me was the number of um, drivers that would perform really, really well um, during their racing in New Zealand, and then six to eight months later, you'd read about their death at a track in, in Europe. Hmm. And when you when you looked at what sort of safety measures there were, you quickly realised that there weren't any. Um, that they were sitting, as you said before, short sleeve. Um, you know, just a, a, a crash helmet, very basic, with a, um, a hard top and leather around the back, a set of goggles, both elbows out the side of the car, and that's your lot. I don't think they even had seatbelts, mm. actually. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to even comprehend that yeah. people would actually go out and do that, you know. And I can remember we stayed with... Um, my father was in the Navy during the war, and we stayed... Um, at his house when we were um, 
up there over Christmas, New Year, and I remember all the drivers, that not only did they stay, but they also um, socialised at the Oxford Hotel, and the stories there apparently, <laughs> the walls could, <laughs> yeah, it'll be really... You think, how, you think how much it's changed, they socialised together, their families all knew each yes, other, yes. they travelled as a group, they That's stayed right. in each other's houses. That's right. And now yeah. it's all big yeah. heads and, Well, you it's, know, it's, it's been and, kind of over-professionalised, yeah. you know. Actually, just talking about that for a minute, um, what you've just said actually reminded me of what we saw the other night with the um, the snowboard girl from Wanaka. Mm. You notice how when she got that gold medal, all of her, all her co-competitors jumped on her, and it was sort of like everybody was happy for everybody else. The camaraderie is amazing. Yeah. yeah, and that pretty much summed it up as far as the um, racing was concerned. Didn't but it? it still happens at the grassroots level in the motor right. racing, and even yeah. I race power boats in the South Island over the winter. Right. And uh, the camaraderie amongst the people. Mm. You know, I was unfortunate enough to crash my boat three and a half years ago and end up in a rescue chopper and my wife's flying down the phone calls do you need a car do you need someone to stay what right. do you need you know and so right. at a grassroots level that stuff is still very much alive yeah and um, I think it's um, which is what makes New Zealand special I was just going to say it's a Kiwi thing isn't absolutely. it absolutely yeah yeah yep it's learning something from someone else I was watching the um the river race jet boats mm. and someone's borrowed someone else's engine because their one was poos and they just said well I hope we don't blow this one up as well because yeah. uh, we're going to be That's two in the it. hole you know yeah yeah it's really quite amazing and in actual fact I don't know if you've been following it most people have but the people protesting at parliament once again that's a um that's an example I mean they they all seem oh a lot of them seem to have different agendas about why they're there or why they are there but the fact remains that they're in a situation they're sharing a common experience, um, fighting if you like a common foe um, and once again that Kiwi stuff comes out there yep. too isn't it? Um, it's really quite unique because apparently from what I've heard anyway, um, you don't get this anywhere else in the world um, so I'm not sure, maybe it's got something to do with number 8 fencing <laughs> oh, We were fortunate enough to go to the States three years ago, mm. must have been December 18 or 19 and pre-COVID and I'd heard about a particular pub when we were in Houston and I got off the metro and there it was and I went in, 104 tap beers, it was amazing and I'm like I couldn't figure out how to order a, a beer because it didn't seem to be any staff and I glanced down the bar and there's a guy with Woodlands Rugby on the back of his shirt, right. on the back of his windbreaker so I walk over to him and say excuse me how to order a beer and he says you don't, I said pardon me, he said when you're with me you don't. If you're a Kiwi, what would you like? Yeah. Here I am an Otaki, right? Yeah. He'd played professional rugby in Palmerston North. And he kept, he'd coached rugby in the States. Right. That's what he did. Yeah. So I had an absolute blast with him, but it was that, fortunately I could talk enough rugby to um, carry the mm, conversation. Mm, um, mm. But just that Kiwi thing around the world, you know, yeah. any time. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, we did a trip about 10 years ago through Europe. Uh, we didn't actually meet any Kiwis. We met a, we met a few Australians who, um, you know, had in, in some ways were sort of, they got the connection, yes. um, which was better than nothing. Um, but it was interesting. We went on a, um, at one stage of the trip, we, we spent um, nearly a week on a cruise boat around the, um, the Adriatic and um, the Greek islands and that. 
it was a uh, an Italian boat, and um, there was no camaraderie on there. I can assure you, you know. And in fact, I think we might have been the only token Kiwis on board, but um, it was incredible. the The way the Europeans behave when they're on holiday, even with their own people, is pretty bloody, pretty disgusting, really. You know, oh, well. it's um, yeah, devil take the hindmost. You know, mm. I mean. When we, when we jump on board the ship, when the ship was actually leaving, we went up onto the deck where they were having all the festivities, um, getting ready to sail. And they had swimming pools and um, sort of open spa pools and that sort of thing. So we thought, oh, well, we'll grab our togs and go and jump in a spa. No way. The Italians are in there and they basically said, we're here and we're here for the duration for the whole bloody trip, so don't even think about it. And that was it. Wow. They, they owned the ship. And they, as far as they were concerned, that was it. And um, yeah, we th- we thought that was a really um, pretty unusual, very unfriendly mm. attitude. But apparently, the way they tell it is they had to be like that with with the the other countries in Europe because it's also competitive. And we we're a bit we, back for that. we have a different mm. psyche to that. And I think actually we're probably the better off for it. Um, frankly, I don't think I'd like to live under that sort of criteria. But no. um, but you mentioned um, powerboats. Perhaps you just tell us a little bit about how you got into that. Well, growing up in Wellington, growing up in the yeah. eastern suburbs, yeah. as a kid, you went and watched the annual harbour powerboat races. Yes. Um, long yeah. and short of it, end up with ski boats, and Wellington Harbour's a lovely place to ski when you're flatting and grow flatter in the eastern suburbs and so you're a bit spoiled, there's water there all the time and you race your ski boat a couple of times and then that's fun and then you end up with kids and life moves on and then we end up with the ski boat having kids and I thought I'll race that and my wife goes, you're going to wreck that if you want to, you know, if you want to give us a nudge, go and buy a race boat. So Trade Me is a pretty amazing place so the first year, <laughs> first year we went racing on a shoestring, we bought a boat, bought a motor, bought the life jackets, I think the only thing we didn't buy second hand was the helmets, we bought new helmets and right. so the first year we went on a, a bit of a shoestring, we tipped a bit more money in the second year and won our class in the championship and it, oh, it's sort of been a bit of a bug on and off ever since mm. uh, one of the boats that was racing in the North Island had been doing a winter series in the South Island and we were up against them in the North Island, they're going come south, it's fantastic, so we ended up going south uh, probably 11, maybe 12 years ago uh, and the series is just bottom half of the South Island, so Cromwell, Roxburgh, Benmore, Aviemore, Tianau, beautiful oh, spots okay. you wouldn't get to race, yeah. Tekapo, yeah. a couple of ocean races, yeah. and um, yeah, so we've, we've been very uh, fortunate to race down there, people are neat, venues are amazing, yeah. um, and um, we've had some pretty good success, unfortunately I did stick myself in a had a bit of an oops in Omaru a couple of three years ago and stuck myself in a rescue helicopter and oh, okay. we couldn't have asked for more mm. from the, the locals. Everything, all the procedures worked as they should and the fellow competitors were amazing helping my wife and daughter who right. came down to get me and things. And um, Were so these um, these boats, were they inboard, outboard? No, or? outboard. Yeah. I've got an outboard catamaran so mm. we're doing you know, 145 to towards 150 k's an hour in the mm. car. Mm. Um, so if it does go pear-shaped, it's in quite a big way. Yeah. You yeah. prepare for the worst, hope for the best, yeah. wear the best yeah. gear you can, you know, wear the appropriate safety equipment. Mm. 
Um, so last winter we won the High Points Championship down south over a nine race series, so we're pretty pretty pleased with that. Mm. Um, I know what you mean about those races, siding young. I lived growing up um, overlooking Evans Bay yes. along the top ridge, and um, so all those um, powerboat races that they had, I think they were annual, were they? That's great. Yeah. You had the BP60, then you had the big open race, and I can I can um, remember there was a chap, was his name, the, the name Knight sticks in my head, or was it McKnight, the guy that had the great big huge inboard thing that won everything that was going for quite a few years. Um, There's quite a few of those older boats changed hands and um, had a few different names. Some of, some of those... Um, those really, and I call them big boats, mm. were um, almost as big as anything that I've seen offshore overseas. They were absolutely enormous bloody things, and I, I, I'm not sure what sort of speed that they were getting up to, but they weren't mucking around. Now, well, the older boats probably did 75 to 80 miles an hour mm. um, until you got into the later catamaran, mm. Um, out and inboard and outboard stuff where they started going quicker mm. so um, yeah there's a lot of them um, it sounds like it was a bit of a boys club it was a big block chev and a, and a V bottom and yeah. there was some pretty yeah. hard men around those yeah um, yeah funnily enough I can just barely remember um, Len Southwood and the redhead yes on um, on Evans Bay and I can't remember it must have been before he what did he do he did he hit something and twisted the prop shaft? I believe so. Yeah, yeah but it's in the shape of... <laughs> it finished in, at the museum, mm. apparently. But I, I actually remember that watching that boat go. That was pretty damn quick. Yeah, well, that was a circuit boat, and I think yeah. that was a genuine 100-mile-an-hour boat, yeah, 100-mile-an-hour yeah. plus. Yeah. I do yeah. remember as a kid seeing it once, and yeah. it would have been... early, very early yes. 70s. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember seeing it once with my dad and um, in Evans Bay. Right. And it's yeah. like the noise, you know, the sight, the oh, sound. Unbelievable. As little boys, it's like, well, that's an impression right there. Yeah, exactly. And so you're um, you're now are going to embark up to um, Bonganui and lead a life of leisure and uh, <laughs> maybe not quite so leisurely. I'm sure there'll be a honeydew uh, list. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so yeah, you've you've um, you've been. Um, living and working in Otaki now for what, say about? 28 years. Yeah, that's a fairly decent... A couple of sleeps. Stretch. The kids yeah, have grown yeah. up here and we lived yeah. in our commercial building for 22 years. Right. And as I probably mentioned earlier, it was the kids have grown and then COVID happened. The first COVID lockdown happened and I've got to be honest, my wife and I really enjoyed it. The time, walking the dog, being a chance to walk the dog every day and thought, how do we do more of this? Mm. What, do, what do we have to do and my friend had this saying and it took me probably three weeks kicking around my head if he, he said if nothing changes then nothing changes and I'm like yeah. oh yeah whatever yeah. Yeah. and about three weeks later it suddenly clicked if you keep doing the same stuff you get the mm. same result yeah. so if you don't change anything mm. why expect anything to change so yeah we put some things in place to be able to have a few mm. options mm. oh it's very good I was quite exciting to um, you know move on to another another chapter so yeah, to speak, exactly. while you're still young, young enough to enjoy it, that's that's the main thing. Is to um, you know, as long as you as long as you got your health and you've got some ideas sorted out for what you want to do, um, you can't go better than that, really. You no. Know? Um, 
So that's great. Well, um, Tim, thanks very much for your, your time today. I thoroughly enjoyed that, and um, I hope everything goes uh, well for you up there and all the best. Thank you very much. Cool. Well, that was uh, Tim Fellows from Spannerworks in Otaki. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Um, that's our show for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to do another car with uh, uh, Digby Pape and Henry Bennett. And uh, the car next week uh, will be a um, an electric Audi. So quite looking forward to that, uh, particularly as it will be on the back of the um, Mercedes-Benz, which we did a uh, fortnight ago. Uh, which, as you remember, uh, was also an electric car. So um, we'll uh, look forward to seeing you back here at the same time next week. Is made with assistance from New Zealand on air for radio broadcast, and through the AccessMedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand on air.